Good morning, church family. Who's excited about the tithing sermon? Yes. Woohoo! That's how we're approaching it, kids. We're excited. All right, at the end of this, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and you're going to respond, thanks be to God, because this is the inspired word of God. Every single sentence is the inspired word of God, not just the parts that we like. Okay. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lay, I will give to you and your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have blessed us with. Every beat of our heart, every breath that we take every dollar that we have, our livelihoods, our houses, our cars, everything is from you. Forgive us for thinking we did this for ourselves when it was you that provided all that we have. Let us not shut down during this word from your servant, Kyle. Breathe afresh your truths and open our eyes, open our hearts and our minds to your message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Melanie. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. As Melanie said, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors. Um, Psalm 19 says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So with that in mind, let us just take a moment of silence. I'd like to start doing this at the beginning of our sermons. Let's just take a moment of silence to just revel in the fact that God's about to speak. Thank you, God. Amen. Well, um, it's a pleasure being here with you today. Uh, Like I said, my name's Kyle. If you're a guest, 
Uh, welcome to Living Stones. It's a great day for you to be here. Uh, we hope that this could be a place where you can come and learn about what Christianity is all about. You can learn what the Bible says, and uh, you can ask questions. You can bring your doubts and concerns. Those are all welcomed here, and we're going to do our best just to give you what the Bible says. And today we're going to be in Genesis 28, which is on page 22 in the Bibles around the room. So if you don't have one, make sure you open it up to it. And I'm just going to get right to the point. Today we're talking about worshiping God with our money. Now I know when I say that, uh, it makes a lot of us in here uh, really nervous. You're like, I didn't mean to come to church on this day. And I understand that. It used to make me nervous, too. Back in 2010, when I was training to be a pastor, I was doing the stage communication for a service um, at Living Stones, and I was doing what Pastor Shea was doing through the service. He's guiding us through the service. And a sermon came up on, uh, on giving to God our, our money. And I was doing stage communication. I get up there, and I'm like, all right, you guys, this is a really hard topic like we have to really get ready like really brace yourself because this is going to be difficult to swallow and I just went on and on like that and after I did that stage communication uh, after the service a middle-aged man uh, came up to me which at the time Living Stones was really young so he's probably the oldest guy in the church and he came up to me and he said hey I need to talk to you about what you said and I said okay and he said you belabored on and on about what a big deal money is and how difficult it was going to be to swallow this message. He's like, but you shouldn't have done that. And I said, why? And he said, we shouldn't be nervous to talk about money. We deal with money every single day. What a great opportunity it is to worship God in a very practical way. And that conversation changed my perspective about money. Money is not something we should be scared to talk about. Um, Jesus certainly was not scared to talk about. To quote uh, every preacher who's ever preached on money, they've all said that Jesus talked about money, and this is true, Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven and hell combined. In fact, he talked about money more than any other topic other than the kingdom of heaven. So to Jesus, how we handle our money is kind of a big deal. And so let me just put you at ease if you're a guest here today. If you're a guest, I'm not asking for your money. I'm not even concerned about your money. I just want you to know what the Bible says and to know Jesus. Um, and no, we don't talk about money every single week. Next week, we're starting the book of Romans, and we're going to go verse by verse through that. It's going to be amazing. But we do need to talk about it today. And um, dare I say that if you, your heart is uptight right now, it's because your heart knows that money is a big deal. That we place our money in what we value. And that's why God calls us to worship him with our money. And there's two basic ways to worship God with our money, stewardship and offerings. Stewardship is how we use the money that God has given us. And offerings are special gifts that we set aside for God for the purpose of venerating him or exalting him and his character and his name. Today we're not going to talk about stewardship, but we are going to talk about offerings. And here's my big idea, here's my big point that I want you to walk away with. At Living Sons, we call our offerings our giving. And here's what I want you to walk away with. Our giving is what we do to thank God for what he does. Our giving is what we do to thank God for what he does. Okay, so we're going to look at this from Genesis. We're going to look at the heart of giving. We're going to look at the act of giving. And then we're going to look at our resistance to giving. Okay, so first of all, the heart of giving. Um, the story of Jacob. And I'll, I'll read it and then we'll explain it, okay? 
So it says in Genesis 28.10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you uh, wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done all that I've promised you. So what happens here is there's this guy named Jacob. Now Jacob is the son, you guys have heard of Father Abraham? You got Father Abraham, had many sons. Okay, so you have Father Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob goes on to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jacob was a creep. His name literally means heel grabber or deceiver, which is a bad name for a kid, all right? And that's what he was. He was a creep. And we know that he was a creep because in the previous chapters before this, uh, Jacob's dad was about to die, Isaac. He was about to die, and Jacob had a brother named Esau. And Esau was a very hairy man. And, uh, he, and Jacob's dad was going blind, and Jacob wanted um, the blessing, Esau's blessing from his dad, because the older brother got a double portion. And so what uh, Jacob did while his brother went out hunting to kill his dad's last meal, Jacob put on goat's hair, onto his arms and went and acted like he was his brother in front of his blind dad and made his dad give him the double portion blessing. He's a thief. And obviously his brother didn't like that too much. So his brother wanted to kill him as soon as his dad died. And his brother started to make plans to kill him. And so Jacob, the deceiver, took off and is in running from his brother, and that's where this story picks up. And he gets to a place where he's really tired, and he lays down to sleep for the night, and he takes a rock to get his pillow. Okay, now, I don't know why he chose a rock, but that's what he did. He couldn't find any leaves anywhere, apparently, so he chose a rock to be his pillow. And he set his head down on the rock, and as he's laying there, he has this dream. And the dream is very interesting, in the dream, there's heaven opens up and a ladder comes down out of heaven. It comes from heaven to earth. And at the top of the ladder is God himself. And on the ladder are angels going up and down the ladder. And God looks at uh, Jacob and he says, I'm going to bless you. I am your God. I'm the God of your fathers and I'm your God. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to multiply your offspring. And from your offspring is going to come the one who's going to bless the entire world. That one is Jesus Christ. And, I, and then he set, closes with, and I will be with you until I have fulfilled all these promises. That's quite the blessing. But here's what I want you to understand. God meets Jacob while Jacob is still a creep. He doesn't wait for Jacob to clean his life up before God encounters him. He meets him while Jacob is still a sinner. This is what the Bible calls grace. Amen. Um, and then in the, in the, 
In the dream, God shows him how his economy works, and he shows him this in a ladder. What is a ladder? A ladder is something that gives you access to something you previously did not have access to. And Jacob, as a sinner, like we as sinners, do not have access to God on our own. We need God to extend the ladder down to us. And that's what we see happening. And normally, a ladder is something that you climb up. But this kind of ladder was different. It was in the dream, Jacob didn't climb up the ladder. What was going up and down the ladder? Angels. And angels are ministers of God's blessings and God's work. And so God showed Jacob, he pursued Jacob, and he showed him, I'm giving you access to me. And he showed him this ladder with angels going up. And it was basically God's way of saying, through this ladder, I'm dispensing my grace and blessings to you. You don't come to me, I bless you. And that's exactly what he did with his promise. He said, I'm giving you this land, I'm giving you offspring, I'm gonna give you my presence. God just gives and gives and gives to Jacob while he's still a sinner. This is quite a blessing, which is why in verse 16 it says, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely this is, uh, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? (laughs) This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob wakes up from his sleep and says, this is awesome. God is here. He just visited me. And it says in verse 18, so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head. He took his pillow and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. The name of the city was Luz at first. Okay, Bethel means house of God. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in the peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. And so what we see here is immediately after God visits Jacob, Jacob gets up and how does he respond? With worship and sacrifice and offering. He gets up and responds with thanks and he makes a vow to God and his vow to God is because you've given me this and you've promised to give me your presence, I will continue to give to you. And so what we can see from this is that the heart of giving is thanksgiving. The heart of our giving to God is thanksgiving. It's thanking God for what he gives us. So we give, our giving is what we do to thank God for what he does. Giving is an act of thanks. Jacob, you know, Jacob was a sinner and then God encountered him and he became a sacrificial worshiper. It wasn't, he became a sacrificial worshiper and then God imparted him from being a sinner. God met him as he was a sinner. And that encounter with God gave him a heart of thanks. And so when Christians give, we give because we're thankful because God has encountered us. Amen? Now, if you're not a Christian, you might be like, why do our Christians, like, why do they give to God? Why do they give to the church? That's why. Because we're thankful people. Giving, we don't give to God because it's an act of penance. Giving is not an act of penance. Catholic teachings have taught that God will forgive you and he has forgiven you 
but there's still things you need to do to get rid of your sin. And they recall those things penance. That is a false teaching and it's a lie and it's nowhere in the Bible. And here's the reason why. Because in Psalm 103, it says, for those who have faith in God, God has removed their sins as far as the east is from the west. So therefore, if God's already removed your sins, how can you pay anything to God to get rid of what he's already gotten rid of? (laughs) You can't do it. He's already gotten rid of it. So Christians, you don't give to God because you need to pay him anything. We give to God because he's already removed our sins. We're thankful. Okay? Secondly, we don't give to God to earn favor from God. Like as if our little money would, would like impress him. I mean, think about what this with Jacob. God just said, I'm going to give you land and offspring and the Messiah of the world. And Jacob's like, I'm going to give you a tenth. Do you think God's like impressed? <laughs> no. Our giving does not earn us any brownie points with God. Our giving is a gift of things. And then lastly, we don't give to God because he needs our money. In no way, shape, or form does God need our money. Hallelujah. And if you think you have a God who needs your money, you should worship another God. Um, In Psalm 50, God rebukes the people because they were giving out of obligation in their hearts. And they were giving because they thought that they had to because they thought God needed the money. And God said to them, basically, I don't need your money. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, if I need a tri-tip sandwich with mushrooms and grilled onions on it, I'm not coming to your house. I'm not knocking on your door. I'll just cook it up myself. I own it all. That's what God says. And notice in this passage, he doesn't hit up Jacob and, and say, Jacob, you know, Things are really tight in heaven right now. Can you give me a tenth? Because I don't think I can make it unless you give me a tenth. (laughs) Like he doesn't do that. (laughs) Because God owns everything. He doesn't need our money. So why does he ask for it? Because he knows that our money is attached to our hearts. He doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. How loving of a God do we have that he's willing to ask for something that we're not necessarily willing to give up because he wants what we truly want is we we want to be connected at the heart level with him. He wants our hearts. Uh, Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You guys know this is true. I mean, March Madness comes around and you bet you don't even care about basketball and then you put $20 into a pot at work and all of a sudden you're, you're a crazed fanatic. Because your heart follows your investments. God only wants our money because he wants our hearts. And this is the economy of how it will always work until he returns. So our giving is what we do to thank God for what he does. What does he do? He gives us life. He meets us where we're at. He could have killed Jacob. Jacob was a creep, but he didn't. He met him where he was at. He blesses us with blessings and promises. And in Christ, we have far more blessings than Jacob did, don't we? And he provides us with food and clothing and everything we need. Have you thought about that today? We ate this week, we ate today because God provided it to happen. He provided the rain, 
He provided the animals. He provided the vegetables. He provided it all. I know you don't eat vegetables, but he provided (laughs) it all. That animal you eat eats vegetables. He provided it all. And that's why Christians give. It's an act of thanks. It's an act of thanks. And if you're not a Christian, you're wondering, why should I become a Christian? Why should I give? What you need to know is that the God we worship is a God that we are honored to give to. It's an honor. And if, and if a God is worth our money, he's certainly worth an investigation on whether or not you should give him your life. Okay, so the, the, let's look at the act of giving. What we see in this passage is that Jacob shows us that giving is intentional, it's regular, and it's sacrificial. First of all, it's intentional. In verse uh, 22, he says, it says, uh, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. He makes a vow to God. So he's intentional. I'm gonna give this to you. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm planning for the rest of my life to give this set aside money to you. He doesn't say, whatever I show up with my pockets on the Sabbath day, that's what I'm going to give to you. He doesn't say, whatever I can scrounge up in my purse when the time of offering comes, that's what I'll give to you. He says, says, I'm planning to give this amount to you. It's an intentional act. It's an intentional act. We are intentional with the things we care about most. Every single one of us. You're intentional with the things you care about most. Okay. Secondly, it's a regular thing. He says, when you give to me, I'm going to give to you. It wasn't, he didn't say, well, you did this for me once. You gave me this weird dream. I'm going to bless you one time, and that's it. He made a vow that for the rest of his life, every time he received something from God, he was going to give back to God. And then lastly, it was sacrificial. He, gave, he says, I'm going to give you a full tenth, a full tenth. In other words, he said, the first tenth, God, belongs to you. I'm going to live off of 90%. And this is the concept that the Bible calls tithes. Tithe simply means tenth. And maybe you've heard it talked about before, tithes. Now in the Bible, from this point forward, you start to see two concepts about financial offerings be developed. One is called tithes and the other is called offerings. There's tithes and there's offerings. What a tithe is, is it's the first tenth it goes to God. And it actually started not with Jacob, but with Jacob's grandfather named Abraham. Abraham gave a, a tenth. He's the father of faith. He gave a tenth to the priest Melchizedek. And then Jacob picks up on that tradition and he vows to give a tenth to God. And Jacob becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, God's people. And uh, several hundred years later, Moses, when he's writing the law for God's people, picks up on the heart of Jacob and the heart of Abraham, and he writes it into the commands that all of what we bring in, God's people bring in, the first tenth belongs to God. So look at Leviticus 27.3. It's going to be up here on the screen. This is what Moses writes. And thy, thy, we got like the King James version up here, I think. So, okay. And thy estimation shall be of the male from 20 years. I don't think that that's the passage. No. I'm going to just read you the passage. That's the wrong one. Sorry. Okay. Here's the passage. Leviticus 27.3 says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the, of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. So every tithe, every bit of the first tenth belongs to God. That's what God says. The first tenth 
belongs to God. And where does he get this? He, he picks it up from Jacob and he picks it up from Abraham. So what I want you, what, me highlighting Jacob and Abraham shows us that this existed before the Mosaic law. Because a lot of Christians would be like, that's just a command in the Mosaic law, in the Old Testament law. But actually it existed before the law, before the law. And this is where the concept of first fruits comes up, okay? Raise your hand if you've heard of first fruits, okay? Most of you have heard of the concept of first fruits. We talked about it during our time of offering. First fruits is this. God says, honor the Lord with your first fruits. When you were a harvester of a crop, you would take the first portion and it would be your best portion and that was considered your first fruits. And God says, I want you to give me the first tenth of what you bring in, the first part. Not the leftovers, the first part. Like think about it when you take, like if you were an olive oil maker back in the day. Like you take that, those olives and you press it and the juice just runs out. What's that first bit of juice called? That first bit of olive oil called? Extra virgin. That's the good stuff, right? Like that's the really good stuff. God says, give that to me. Why? Two reasons why. Because our first fruits offering, our tithes are an offering of worth and an offering of trust. When you give God your first and best, you're saying, God, you're worthy of my best. Okay, think about it with your friends. When your friends come over, you don't give them leftover lettuce. You're not like, hey, I made a salad last week. Do you want some leftovers? You go to the store, if you, especially if you want to honor them, you go to the store and you get some good food, some good steak, and then you bring that home and you give them your best. Every time I have friends over, I always try to cook the best barbecue that I possibly can because I want to honor them. How much more should we do that with God? But a lot of times we end up giving him our leftovers. And it's an action that we say, you're actually not that important to us. Okay? So it's also, as when we give God your first fruits, it's actually also an offering of trust. Because if you give off the top, you're trusting that the rest is enough to live off of. And so it's an act of faith. And so that's what the tithe is. And like Moses says, it says, every tithe of the land, whether of seed of the land or the fruit of the trees or modern day, whether it's cash or coin, it is holy to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It belongs to him. And this is why in Malachi 3, another famous passage by preachers who like to preach on giving, God rebukes Israel for robbing him. He says, you're robbing me. And they say, how are we robbing you? And he says, in your tithes and offerings. And the reason why is because they were giving God leftovers. They weren't giving him their first. They weren't giving him their best. So God wants our best. He calls for our tithes, okay? So that's the first kind of giving you see in the scriptures is a tithe. It's a regular giving off the top. The second type of giving you see uh, in the scriptures is an offering. And you also see this here in our story with Jacob. An offering is a special offering in addition to the tithe, and it's given for a handful of reasons. It's given to worship, such as free will offerings in the Bible. It's given for special projects, such as in the Old Testament, you see them raising money for the tabernacle so they could have a place to worship. Or in the New Testament, you see them taking a collection because there was a famine in the land. And it's also given to the poor and needy. So in the Old Testament, you were supposed to leave the edges of the field so the poor and needy could be cared for. And at every few years, you were supposed to make a special offering just for the poor and needy, the widows and the fatherless. 
And so that's what offerings are. And we see this here with Jacob because Jacob, after he has this dream, what does he do? He takes his pillow, the rock, and he pours out oil on top of it, which was a sacrifice. There was no smiths down the street. He couldn't just like go pick up another thing of oil. He makes a sacrifice right there as an offering to God, a free will offering to praise God. And so there in the scripture, we see two types of offerings, tithes and offerings. And Jesus seems to affirm both of these in Matthew 23, 23, which this one should be on the screen. Do we have this one? We don't have that one. Okay. He says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus looks at the religious crowd. He looks at the church crowd and he says, you hypocrites. He says, you're giving a tenth off of everything. You're even off of your spice rack. You're like, you're giving a tenth off of all your spices, but you're neglecting the widows and the poor. You're neglecting the matters of, of justice. The more important matters, he says. But then you would think that Jesus is saying, oh, cool, the tithe is, is off, we're off the hook for the tithe. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus closes with says, you should have done the latter without neglecting the former. He says, you should be doing both. And the instruction for us as a church is this, is that God calls us to both make regular offerings to him and set aside special offerings for the poor and needy and special occasions. And so this is what our invitation is. And so if you're a Christian, here's my invitation to you, just based off what the Bible says. If you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, then you should be making intentional, regular, sacrificial tithes to the Lord, and you should set that in your budget. Like when you show up on Sunday and you pass the basket, you shouldn't be scrambling in your pockets for what you're gonna give. There should be an intentional piece of money, a part of your budget that you've already set aside. And I know for some of you, that means you need to create a budget. <laughs> um, and I know that some of you are like, but I can't give 10% right now. And I say, okay, but start with a percentage and start working towards 10%. Because this is the pattern we see in the scriptures. And then every one of us as Christians should also be setting aside special amounts of money for special offerings. So that if there is somebody in our community who is poor and in need, we can take care of them like they do in Acts chapter 2, where they had all things in common. So that when we do raise money for water wells, which we're going to do at Christmas time, you can actually contribute. We have to be planned in these things. And some of you are doing this great. And for those of you, I don't want you to just be rolling your eyes through this whole sermon like, yeah, 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 I know all this. I want you to be encouraged. Keep doing it. God is being blessed and so is the church and his people. Keep doing it. But some of you, actually most of us, are not doing these things. And so my encouragement to you is to start. Now, here's what it looks like for my family. And I'm not saying this by any way to brag. I just want to lead by example, okay? Here's what it looks like for my family. In the Bateson household... We give 12% of anything that comes in as a tithe. Just 12%, it just goes to God. So um, paycheck comes in, 12% goes to God. Last year, we got some unfortunate news that we owed a lot of debt because of a mistake we made on our taxes. And we were saying, okay, that's gonna adjust our paychecks. But guess what? It doesn't matter. 12% still goes to God. 
But we also had some good fortune last year that came in because we sold our house and made a bunch of money on our house. And that was a hard check to write. Guess what? 12% goes to God. You know what hap- happened? That extra money we brought in from our house could have paid off all our debt to the IRS. But we said at the beginning, 12% goes to God. It's not ours. It's a tithe. It goes to him. Okay, and same thing. If uh, an extra check comes in from here or there, you know, sometimes money just grows on trees. It's like, it just, 12% goes to God. It just goes to him. That's our tithe. That's what it looks like for us. And I know that, and we didn't start there. We didn't start at 12%. We worked our way up towards that. It took several years to get there. But then we also have an additional 3% on our regular budget that we give to organizations that serve the poor and needy. So we give to the Food Bank and we give to Compassion International and we give to Living Water International. And I would encourage you that there's several organizations in our city, like the Food Bank serves 90,000 meals a month. They need people to give to them so that they can keep doing that. Um, There's several organizations that you can give to and partner with to continue to give to the poor. And then on top of that, at two times in the year, we try to set a chunk of money aside so that we can make a special offering to something like the year-end gift. So that's what it looks like for the Bateson family. But it took us several years to get there. But it took intentionality. We had to be thinking about it. And I know that as I say those things and I I bring up what Jesus says, you might be saying, well, that just sounds like a lot. I don't know if I can live that open-handedly. But here's the thing about it. God said he created humans in his image, didn't he? And think about who God is. God is constantly giving, is he not? Like the very first page of the Bible, what is God doing? He's giving, he's giving existence. Then he gives life to all created things. And then he makes humans. And the interesting thing about humans is he gives them love. And here's how we know why. All other creation, he spoke into existence. But with humans, how did he bring us into existence? He formed us with his hands. It was an act of love. And then even after he gave us that love, we still rebelled against him. And when he had the right to kill us, he killed an animal instead and covered Adam and Eve with that animal as a symbol that he was forgiving them of their sins. He gives them grace. And then he gives them food. And he just provides. God is giving. And if we're made in his image, what does that mean for us? We are meant to be giving people. Generosity is hardwired into who we are created to be. Uh, I read an article on eScience Daily. And it said this. A recent study said that there is a... uh, Direct correlation for people who are more generous, they are more happy. We knew this. I knew that from Ebenezer McScrooge from the DuckTales Christmas Carol (laughs) as a kid. McScrooge was an angry, greedy man. But as soon as he became generous, he became a happy man. We didn't need him to tell us that. Jesus said it even before then. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. In fact, to not be generous is to not be fully human. And so this is what we're called to be. This is so I encourage you, I know it's hard, but you'll actually be more happy. You're gonna be more satisfied when you live with hands open instead of hands closed. Hands closed. Okay, but let's talk about our resistance. Why? And we'll close it up. It'll be really quick. Why are we so resistant to this? I think that there's a handful of reasons why. We'll name them right now. Five reasons. Unawareness, misunderstanding, idolatry, fear and mistrust. So unawareness. Unawareness is, I became a Christian. I'm just, I just love Jesus. 
I didn't know I was supposed to give it to God. Well, now you know. So <laughs> that, I, I really get this because this is where I was. I'd been a Christian for a long time. And I remember I was in college and uh, I was making money. And my dad, I remember a conversation with my dad. And he said, hey, you know, we're supposed to set a portion of our money aside for God. And I was like, well, that totally makes sense. God gave everything to me, so I did that. So I had a cash job, so I just started, I took an extra envelope and I just started putting cash in that envelope and, when, and I put, left it in my love, glove box of my car and whenever I had a chunk of change in there, I just gave that to the church. And my simple thing was, I just didn't know before and I kind of needed somebody to tell me. And so I'm telling you now, now you know. Uh, <laughs> Don't leave it in your glove box. That's a bad idea. But misunderstanding is the next reason. So unawareness is the first reason. Misunderstanding is the next reason. Misunderstanding is this. We don't like to give to God. We're resistant to it because we think it's my money. We misunderstand. It's, but it's my money. I worked hard for it. I got up. I did this. I did this. But here's the deal. You only did because God helped you do God gave you breath. God helped your heart beat. God gave you the background and giftings that you have. God gave you the brain. God gave you the opportunity. God placed you here in America so you can even have this kind of opportunity. God did all of it. It's not yours. It's his. So we have to get over our misunderstanding. The third resistance we have is idolatry. And idolatry simply means that other things are more important. Now, I think in our culture, especially in suburban culture, there's known idolatry and unknown idolatry. Known idolatry is we, are, we know we're investing into things that we should be prioritizing God. And so you need to stop. Start worshiping God. But then there's unknown idolatry where you say, I just don't know where I can give. And here's what unknown idolatry reveals, is that in your budget, there's a lots of line items that you're valuing more than you're valuing God. And some of you have dug a hole because you bought a house you can't afford, you've bought multiple cars you can't afford, and therefore now you're saying, I can't afford to give to God. And what it's gonna take for you to be faithful in this area is you're gonna have to slay some of those idols. And that's gonna be difficult, but it's gonna be a huge blessing, okay? The third or fourth reason why we are resistant to giving is fear. I, if I give to God, I won't have enough to live for myself, and what you need to know in this instance is Jesus says, fear not. For if God provides for the seagulls, which are nasty birds, <laughs> he will certainly provide for you. He loves you far more than any bird, any animal. He will certainly care for you. So your fear needs to turn into trust. And then lastly, mistrust. And I sympathize with this one this most. Um, some of you have given to the church in the past and have just been burned because the leaders of that church just used it horribly. They embezzled it. They used it on stuff that they shouldn't have used it for. And so now you have a mistrust of the church and you're using that as your resistance. And I understand that and I hurt with you. And just on behalf of the church, I say, I'm sorry. They will answer to God for what they did. Um, but don't let that stop you from ignoring the commands of God. Give to God, not the church. Give to God through the church and trust that God will judge how the church uses those funds. 
So that's what we're called to do. Now let's close it up with this. Our resistance to financial offering is fundamentally a misunderstanding of who God is and what he does, isn't it? It's a misunderstanding of who he is. He's a king. And we see that here with Jacob because God shows up to Jacob and says, I'm gonna give you lands and offsprings. Only a king can give lands. And I know in America, we're not too fond of kings. We don't like those guys. But anybody, but Jacob responded with giving because he knew what it was to have a king. When you live in a kingdom and you have a king, you know that everything I have actually belongs to the king. And so our resistance is a misunderstanding. Jesus is Lord. He's not your buddy. He's Lord. He's king of all. And if he's king of all, our natural response should be, well, if he asked for it, it's his anyways. And then we also misunderstand what kind of king he, does, he is and, and what kind of things he does. He's a benevolent king who gives grace. Jacob was a slime ball who deserved wrath, but instead God gave him blessing. And you and me, I know we don't like to think it, we're slime balls. We're way worse than we like to admit. And I know that that's true if we're just honest with the thoughts that go on in our heart. We're way worse than we like to admit. But instead of God giving us wrath, he's chosen, us to, to, chosen to give us Jesus, his son. I mean, think about this vision, a ladder, an access point to God. In John 1, Jesus says, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the access point to God. I am the one by which God will pour out his blessings on mankind. We have a far greater blessing in that God has given us not a dream, he's given us a person. He's given us Jesus himself in the flesh. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, not good people. Jesus came to save sinners. And, and what do we have in God doing this for us? We have God, see, God will not ask of us what he's not willing to give to us. He asks of us our best, our first fruits. And in giving us Jesus Christ, he gave us his best. Amen. He gave us the extra virgin olive oil of heaven. He gave us his son. There's no better thing he could have given us than his own son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, he wasn't holding anything back. He wasn't giving you leftovers. He was giving it all. And when he cried out on the cross, it is finished, he was forgiving you of all your sin. It's finished, it's paid in full. God is pouring out his blessings over and over and over. And when you realize this, your hands go from here to here. And you say to God, my giving is what I do to thank you for what you do. Thank you. And so that's my hope for you. And my hope is that if you're not a Christian, that you could see how much God loves his people and how much he loves you. And he wants you, even in the midst of your sin, that he gave his very best of heaven. And if you haven't started giving yet, here's my encouragement. Just try. Try it for like three months and see what happens. And if it's not working out for you, well, you can talk to God about that. <laughs> but just try. Make an offering to God. And then some of you are giving. And I just say, keep it up. I know it's hard. But there's not going to be a cent you give to the kingdom of heaven that when you stand before the throne of God that you're going to regret having given. 
And so let us thank God for what he's done. God, we just so thankful. We're so thankful for you. We pray that you would just, uh, that you would help us to be grateful, that you would help us to be aware of how you're giving to us, that you would save us from our misunderstanding and our idolatry and our fear and our mistrust. And that you would help us to see that everything we have comes from you and we would live open-handed, generous lives instead of closed-handed, greedy lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.